Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, here we are at church. We are in a really fun series. We're going through Romans 8. So if you have a Bible, uh, grab a Bible in front of you or behind you. Uh, turn to Romans 8. Um, it's a, let's see, in the Bible in front of you, there's first person there. If you have a, a page number, why don't you shout it out for those of us who struggle to find it. 1043. And we're in Romans, big chapter 8. And we're doing this in-depth look at the love of God. And all of Romans 8 is this incredible chapter about some of the deepest things about our walk with God. And last week, Jeff did this incredible sermon. Um, and it was a great sermon. It was about a, a great message, and this idea that we're, the love of God is rooted in our adoption into God's family. We get to actually have this intimate relationship with God where we cry out, Abba, Father, and we, there's no more fear. And it was just a great message, really encouraging. And then, uh, and then I'm up. And this week, we get to talk about suffering. And so that was a great handoff. I appreciated the, uh, the pulling this up. And, uh, and suffering, that's, no one likes talking about it, um, I think. But what's weird is I think all of us at least can experience it. Um, and I was thinking back, what was my earliest memory of suffering? And I'm going to share it with you. <laughs> Homecoming is the most unfair and un kind ritual to anybody, especially to a beginning of puberty, awkward young man. It happens in the fall. You're in high school for two whole months, and you're supposed to figure out how to go to homecoming. And you've seen 16 Candles and all these different things, and you're like, what am I supposed to do? Well, I was freaking out. I sat in the back, and I didn't really think much of it. I thought, I'm a freshman. I'm awkward. There's no way I'm going to have a date. So I didn't think much of it. But um, this girl in my biology class through a friend, let it be known that she wanted to go with me. And, uh, and she was a sophomore even. I'm like, oh man, this is legit. She knows what's up. She knows how homecoming's gonna work. She wants to go with me. She has a good sense of character and taste. I'm in. And, uh, and so we set this whole thing up, but like, I don't know the first thing about how homecoming works. And, you know, so we go and we pick her up and she comes and she's part of our family meal and that was awkward. And, and we go to the dance and that was awkward because I don't know what to do. And, and we're both awkward. Like, we don't know what's going on. We don't have any right to be going to homecoming. And, um, and we, you know, there's, there's not very slow dances, and my mom taught me the foxtrot, and there's no foxtrot happening. <laughs> and I could just feel my awkwardness was just overwhelming. And, um, and she had enough of it. About halfway through the dance, she kind of moved away and found her group of friends and danced and did her thing with her girlfriends. And I was like, hey yo, you know? And, uh, and when, it was all, when, the, when the dance was all over, it was time to go home, um, you know, we, we, we pick her up and she said, you know, instead of taking me home, would you take me to my friend's house? So we drive to her friend's house only to see all of her friends, you know, it was like this big post party with all of her people. And uh, we drop her off and I drive home and I'm like, and I'm trying to start to cheer up a little bit because this is back before I was hard hearted, you know, because I was, I was a lover back then. And I was like, I can't, and I was just like, oh, this is the worst. And then I remember going home and t- turning on Cameo Love Lines and just weeping to all the sad songs. Songs, thinking this is what heartbreak and suffering is like and going back to class on Monday and it was awkward. It was just the worst, the worst. And doing youth ministry for so long, I feel like every, every fall I get to sit with students and as they just are heartbroken and are devastated because homecoming and love and romance for a 14-year-old did not work out the way that it should because we've seen love actually and it doesn't work out like that. And what's interesting about suffering and about this one in particular, especially being a little older now, you look back and you just think, you're an idiot. It's okay. You're 14. You don't know the first thing about love. 
in all of us, in some sense, there's a, there's a good part to that and there's a shadow part to that because all of suffering, the way that we understand what suffering does is we have to know where to put the decimal point. Art says this all the time, right? On a continuum, is this the worst thing ever in all of human history or is this just a bad thing? And we don't really know. We're humans and we don't know how to judge the thing that we're going through, how big and how awful it is on the continuum. And so we need people in our life. We need a perspective of where things fall. And what I love about um, this passage in Romans 8, it's actually a really hope-filled way of understanding where to put your suffering on the continuum. Because the jerky way to do it is get over it. It's not that bad. You don't understand how bad it could be. And we just think, and we just kind of draw out all the awful things of what suffering could be. And then all of a sudden being shunned by a girl at homecoming at 14 is not that bad, big, big of a deal. And that is helpful. But what's even more helpful than knowing where your suffering fits on all of other suffering is recognize where your suffering fits in the light of who you are and whose you are and the story that defines us and motivates us and sends us. So we're going to start this morning looking at Romans chapter 8, and we're starting in verse 18. And it says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I love the way this begins. I consider that our present suffering, this present moment, these present things that are happening in us. And for some of us, like over our whole life, that right now is, yes, this present moment. For some of us, it's like, oh, I remember a season where it was this present moment. Or if it hasn't been, just know that at some point down the road, you are going to be in this present moment. And these present sufferings are not even worth comparing, not to you don't know what it's like to live during World War I, during trench warfare. I listened to this like 12-hour podcast about World War I and trench warfare. I'm like, I am glad I did not live during then. Whatever's going on is not that bad compared to then. But that's not what it is. What it is compared to is the glory that will be revealed in us, is the greater story, this picture that God loves us. We're adopted into his family. He has us to be a part of his family, co-heirs with him, and wants to use us to expand his kingdom on earth until finally we get to live with him in glory forever and ever. Like that's our story. And in that whole story, we take our suffering and go, well, this suffering compared to that, Okay, that helps us put it in perspective. Where on the decimal point, where the decimal point falls. What's interesting is, I mean, the suffering has been part of the human experience for all of human history. And different groupings of people have found ways in which to help them understand and cope and navigate that. And the people who have done that best are, are the people who get that their current sufferings are only a moment in the larger story, in a larger narrative that is so much bigger, so much more grand, and that they are simply a moment in this larger story. And so because of that, they can sit in this moment knowing that all the things that have brought to this moment and knowing where this moment is going to lead. And that happened um, during World War II at the con concentration camps. It happened in our country uh, during the civil rights, moment, uh, civil rights movement. And I want to show you this little video clip. This is from one of my all-time favorite movies, Selma. And it's about uh, it's the story of Martin Luther King um, as they're working toward the 1965 Voting Rights Act. And uh, this is uh, Coretta Scott King, and she's getting ready to meet with uh, another civil rights leader um, as she's trying to kind of gain uh, and build some momentum to what Martin Luther King is doing. Isn't that awesome? What an incredible, glorious perspective. We are the descendants of all of civil civilization came from us. They survived slave ships. They were, you know, they brought all these things and they are standing on the shoulders of all these people of centuries of suffering. And in this moment, that's what got them to here. 
And these activists in the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King Jr., Coretta Scott King, right, they knew that their, what their moment was and sat in that suffering and able to propel it even further. And Coretta Scott King ends up going, doing so much more for the civil rights movement, for women's rights, um, for all sorts of minority rights. In 1982, um, she, you know, through tons of lobbying, ends up starting Martin Luther King uh, Jr.'s birthday. It happens in uh, January. So that people like me, who all this is ancient history, right? I live in Northern California and I'm born uh, long after that. But right, every January I'm forced to remember what our country went through and who we are and whose we stand, whose shoulders we stand on the, on, on the top of. And I just think, what an awesome story. And it's not, look how awful my, how my suffering is. Oh, it's not as bad as my suffering. Okay, your suffering is the worst, so that's what makes my suffering better. No, it's, we are part of this trajectory. We are part of this grand story. And our story, and I mean the civil rights story, is an incredible story. And think about the, the, the story of the people of God. Even It's the grandest of all stories, and that's what we're invited to be a part of. So when we think of our suffering, we have to think of it in light of the grand story of the biggest tribe of the most glorious story. So let's move on to, to verse 19. It says this. For, the, for creation waits in eager, eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What a lot of good biblically gobbledygook. It is so much going on there. But I just want to focus on this one sentence, this one part. It says that we are liberated uh, from its bondage to decay. And I think it's helpful to understand that we live in a broken and fallen world. I mean, all you have to do is open up the newspaper, open up, have, have survive morning breakfast with your family. I mean, every single thing about our life is broken and we are bondage to decay. And that is the moment we live in. I mean, think of all of, the, all of creation is in, in decay. Relationally, starting right when 14 being uh, broken up with uh, or, not, or having homecoming not work for me, right? That's like the most simple beginning there. But all of relationships have so much chaos, so much death, so much decay. It is brutal how much we wound each other. And romantically, from parents, from friendships, we all are the victims of people who have just crushed us. And what's even worse, that we have crushed. We are, bondage, uh, we are bonded to decay. So if all of creation is decay, we have to recognize that happens relationally. But that's just one part of it. Culturally, we are in a total swamp. Uh, this week in the news, right, there was a, a shooting in Kentucky. And uh, there was a thing that flashed across. And it was like, this is the 11th school shooting this year. I'm like, wait, you mean in, in 2017? I mean, that makes sense. No, in 2018, in 23 days, there's been 11 school shootings. It is so heartbreaking that we live in a culture that where death and murder is a, is, is a, is a way forward, that the people have no way to manage whatever's going on with them, that death and murder seem to be a way forward. And that's in Kentucky, let alone all over the rest of the country, let alone all over the world, that our culture is in decay. So we're relationally in decay, we're culturally in decay. There are systems in which we are part of um, that, are, that just crush people. The fact that our government cannot figure out this immigration thing is brutal. The, these marginalized people have no say. Both sides of the aisle are just using them as pawns to figure out their next war. And there are actually real people, right, who are really being crushed, who are really suffering. The suffering that happens is relationally and it's culturally, it's systemically, it's environmentally, you know, um, 
all sorts of uh, environmental issues, what happened in Michigan with the water, the fires in Santa Barbara, and then the mudslides that ended up causing so much death and destruction. Like, the world is broken, and suffering is normative, and there's suffering everywhere. (sighs) Good news, huh? So the real question is, what in the world, as we as followers of Christ, how do we sit in that? How do we navigate in that? How do we not just have a nice, precious moments kind of virtue thing that helps people feel good and helps us feel better as we walk away and leave other people? Well, before we get there, I'm going to invite us to one more, um, one more way to suffer, which as I thought about this, I didn't want to go here, but I think this is what the scriptures teach, and this is why we don't really like reading scripture. Um, because we're forced to deal with these things. So at the end of Jeff's sermon, in verse 17, it says this. We know that all of creation... Um, oh, sorry. I'm going to send that, right? We know that all of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right at this present time, right? That's just the truth. All of creation groans. Everywhere around us, that's, that's just... We can just see it. It's groaning as in childbirth. So when you see death and destruction, when you see bondage and decay, you're like, yep, Real world, that's how we're living. But this is what happened in the beginning, end of Jeff's sermon. It says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Amen, good news. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And what's so brutal about our context is that we live in a world that is full of death and destruction. There is so much suffering and heartache and pain. But I think as followers of Christ, we're actually invited into suffering. We're invited to be people who don't just guard our hearts and say, you know what, I'm tired of all the relational drama that's hurting my heart. I'm tired of the cultural drama and I'm just going to seclude myself in the, cult, you know, in the systemic drama and culture, I mean, systemic decay and I'm going to stay away from that. And we, and we limit ourselves and limit ourselves. But that's not what Christians are called to do. In some sense, we can't just survive our current cultural decay. We're invited to actually step into it. We're invited to be people who say, you know what? As wholehearted people who are called by God, who are co-heirs with Christ, we are actually called to step into even more suffering. I love this picture. This is a picture of Jesus washing Judas's feet. Could you even imagine all the pictures of Jesus and Judas are, you know, Judas kissing him on the cheek or, or him dipping, uh, you know, his bread into the wine. When I go, oh, that would have been awful to just sit next to Judas. But before that, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He took off his outer robe, he got on his knees, and he humbled himself and served his disciples by mo- not only modeling, but actually being a servant to them. And Peter, who throws a fit, he's like, Peter, you're an idiot. It's okay. And washes Peter's feet. And John, who's his favorite, you know, washes John's feet. And he goes all the way around. But think about it. He goes to, he goes to Judas knowing that Judas betrayed him. Both what that meant emotionally, having this person that you've invested your whole life in, your dreams in, the future for the kingdom of God in, and also knowing what that's going to mean physically. That means that your death and your destruction. And yet Jesus invites us to put on his mantle, which means to, to lean into the suffering, to lean in the relational suffering, to lean in the cultural suffering, the systemic suffering, the environmental suffering, that we're actually called by God to lean into those things. And no one in our world, no one in our culture is willing to do that. We think if we're good Christians and we can just survive suffering, then we have done it. But I wonder if the next thing that Jesus might be inviting us into is to actually lean into the suffering. In our family, we use this word. We call it the vault. 
In our family, we love people. We open our hearts freely to people. Come, you know, we just love, love, love people. Except if you wrong us, right? If you love me back, even if you're indifferent, we will love you. You can come to our house. We'll share life with you. Life is all great. But the second that you betray us, we close the vault. And that's, it's, it's, I mean, I can't believe I'm actually saying it out loud because that, that's the exact wrong thing to do. But that's how we roll. Because we think, look at us. We're so generous. We're such good Christians. We give our whole life and heart away. We are epic Christians. But at some point we go, you know what? You've wronged me too much and I'm going to close the vault. And we all know ways that emotionally we kind of close the vault over our hearts so that we can just make it through life. You know those people who are so unsafe and we just close the vault on them. I can sit with them. I can smile with them. I can share coffee with them. But in my heart, I'm like, you are dead to me. I mean, you know it, right? Maybe it's just my family, but that is how our family rolls. And I think the invitation that Jesus is inviting his people, if we are co-heirs with Christ, if we are adopted into his family, if we want to share with him in his glory, then we're also invited to share with him in his suffering. And I get in some moments in your suffering, you're like, I am in my suffering and this is my moment and all I see is black. And that is real and that is okay and the family of Christ gets to be around you. For some of you, though, you've worked past that. You've met, you are now no longer in that season, but your heart has all the damage of that, and you're, the vault is closed. And maybe in this season, God might simply be inviting you to reopen the vault, even to the point of death. Jesus washed Judas's feet. And there are people in our lives who we would not do that for, and maybe Jesus is inviting us to do that. So we know that all of creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And it goes on to say this. But not only so, we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. What I like about the story of suffering and where Scripture talks about suffering is if you are suffering, if your heart has been just decimated, then you are actually affirming the biblical story. Isn't that wild? Every other story is trying to minimize suffering. Every other story is trying to show ways through suffering or to limit it or to minimize it. And yet our story is a story that we are noble, amazing creations. We are, the, we are made in the image of God. Male and female, we are image, image bearers of God. That is our story. That is who we are. And yet we are subject to decay. And so when we experience suffering, when we experience the world gone wrong, then it's like, that's an affirmation of the biblical story because we are experiencing what the Bible says is actually true. And what a bummer for us that our Savior modeled suffering. He's the only Savior in all of human history is like, no, suffering is the way through it. And that's who we are hitching our wagon to. So when you are like in the middle of suffering, you just have to know that you are affirming the biblical story. So we experience suffering. Jesus is inviting us to encounter more suffering. But the real question is, how in the world do we even begin to navigate that? And earlier in Romans, Paul gives us a little bit of a snapshot into this. He says, not only so, but we also uh, glory in our sufferings, right? We, We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Think back to homecoming, right? That's easier because you've all lived past homecoming. But if you don't work past homecoming and that becomes the end of the road for you, think how much you've forgotten 
to know about life, about love, about perspective, about anything. If 14-year-old heartbreak is all you'll ever know, like you have missed out on all of the richness and depth of what it means to be a human being. And when you start thinking of the deeper and deeper suffering that happens, there's this thing that happens that when you actually sit in it, when you persevere in it, when when you not only just give up and throw in the towel, but when you just take a baby step forward and a baby step forward, that perseverance actually produces character. And the very being of who you are changes. Like you change fundamentally into a different person by taking a baby step forward. Not giant leaps, not God so good, not here's my precious moments, but just a baby step, a tiny step closer to Christ, a tiny step further away from your suffering. It produces perseverance. And that perseverance produces character. And then that character produces hope. Because it's, hope is, a, is an act of character. Hope is understanding that there's something bigger and better and deeper and richer not in this moment. And it takes character to get from here to there. So suffering actually produces hope. And what stinks is for the person who is suffering, it does not feel that way at all. For the person who's just a little removed though, it does. Two of my biggest hero mama bears are Ann Atkinson and Imgard Witte. And a couple, like a year and a half ago when their boys died, the worst ever for a whole church. And both of them in their own way, right? Baby step, baby step. And their paths are different, their steps are different, but I could not be more impressed to know people who are taking baby steps. And from just the step of a person removed, I see that those baby steps are producing character and those characters, that character is producing hope. And their testimony is allowing a church body to have a deeper sense, a deeper perspective, more character and more hope. That verse in Romans 3, I mean 5 goes on to say this. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. All of the suffering, all of the challenges, all the things that we are walking through. What's interesting is God's just not like, good luck, people. You got this. If you can make it to me, then we'll party. But until then, this is like a big test. Like it's like a, a, you know, what they used to do in fraternity and hazing and stuff. I don't think they can legally do that anymore. But back in the good old days, death and destruction, if you make it, you're in. But it's God's love that changed our perspective. It's God's love. It's his Holy Spirit that's poured out who he says, listen, I love you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you. You are part of this larger story. This picture is taken from this psychological experiment they did with little kids. It's awesome. They sat this kid in a room. The lady would walk in and put a marshmallow in front of the kid and say, listen, you can eat this marshmallow or you can wait two whole minutes. And if you wait two whole minutes, you can have a second marshmallow. Simple enough. And then there's these videos online. It is incredible watching these kids just freak out. They're freaking out. Like, I mean, a marshmallow. It's like, I mean, I'm sorry, Jens, but it's the worst food on the planet. You know, I don't understand it. It's just sugar and chaos. But kids love it. They love the chemical. They love the sugar and they cannot say no. And so to have that right in front of them and to say no, right, it it causes this weird suffering. It's five-year-old suffering, but it is suffering. And what's wild is how does a kid go from saying no to that and waiting two whole minutes to get a reward? And it's a developmental thing, and that's why it was a psychological experiment. But I know for me, I might as well be a seven-year-old in my whole life. And there's a marshmallow in front of me, and I'm like, no, I need to wait, or I need to lean into something harder. And I just go, that is too hard. 
But what I found in my life, the way that I've been able, for the, the, the times that I've experienced success, is to get to the other side, is to realize that it is the person who's laid out the experiment, the person who's laid out the problem. If I love and trust them, I'm willing to wait. Right? If, that's, if, that's, if there's a relationship with love and trust to that person who puts the, the marshmallow in front of the kid and they know that their mom has always come through, they know that, they do, that in two minutes it's always going to work out this way and there's a trust there and there's a love there, then sitting in that two minutes all of a sudden becomes bearable. But if you don't love, if you don't trust, if there's no relationship there, then it just becomes a, a, a blind faith. And I think what God is inviting us to is that we don't have to sit in our suffering in blind faith. We just don't hope that it's going to be better one day. But we are people of faith. Our faith is deeply rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We are invited into his family. We are adopted into his kids. And we are part of the larger story. And that's what we have been called to do. So for in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no more hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. What an awful trick. The only way hope works is by not seeing it, right? Ooh. So here's the question. What gives you hope? I don't understand. Every single person in this room is either experienced or one person removed away from incredible suffering. That was mostly intentional. Moms have to go through incredible suffering in order to birth a kid unless you luck out and get C-section. <laughs> but what's incredible is, in this moment, it is the worst moment of all time. And yet, women for all of human history have intentionally chosen to do that. Jill, four times. God bless you. Because this is a moment. It is a suffering. It is an awful thing. But all of creation is groaning in childbirth. Our spirits groan as in childbirth. It's this pain that we know that this is not right. Everything about this is wrong. It is painful. It is full of death and destruction. But we know that this is not the end. We know what is at the other side is something really incredible. And all of Romans 8 is this explanation of what is on the other side. A, there is another side here on earth as we walk through that. As you know people who have suffered and you walk with them, you know, okay, there is another side. But even more than that, we are adopted into sonship, into daughtership. We've been adopted into the family of God to be co-heirs with him, to be part of this incredible story, to bring about the good news of the glory of God. And unfortunately, part of that glory, part of that testimony is that God's people lean into suffering. And how we walk through suffering is our testimony. So here's just a four quick things. Where in the world do we go from here? If you are someone who is suffering, if you are someone who has suffered, if you're someone who God is inviting in to suffer, where do we go from here? Well, it begins with increasing your perspective. In a very simple way, it might just mean to get a grip and go, where is my suffering on the big scheme of suffering? But even more than that, where is this moment in the light of all that God is doing, has done, and will do? I love being a part of a church because when I think of only my life, I only have this tiny perspective. But being a part of a church body, I get to be a part of so many, so complex, so many complex lives, so much death and destruction, so much joy and hope that I get to see people who've walked before me down a road and see how they've done it. So we have to increase our perspective. Here's the second thing we cannot give up. 
We live in a context where everything is instant gratification. We have no perseverance, no character, and therefore no hope. There's a suicide epidemic that's happening among young people who are struggling with depression and anxiety, and I'm sure they're just young people because they're too stupid to, and they're too stupid, but they answer all the surveys. Someone asks you a survey and you gird up, right? Young people don't know how to do that, so they tell it how it really is, and it is no, no bueno. But we as a church have to tell the story to not give up, to not let people give up. It is baby steps, one step in front of the other, one step in front of the other. And we are the church. And there are people in this room who are suffering and who are in it and who only see the blackness of this moment. And that means that we as the church, we, we bear with one another. We carry one another. We mourn with those who mourn. We celebrate with those who mourn. And so when we live life and we do life with people who are struggling, we don't walk away. We don't close the vault. We don't go, God bless them. But we actually in, intentionally step into them. We lean into them. <laughs> And I have to confess, I hate pain. I hate death. I hate destruction. And it is not normal or natural for me. And so I'm saying this as a huge hypocrite, hopefully to kick my own butt, to step out and say, yes, we must bear with one another. We must not be scared of the suffering around us. And lastly, groaning is recommended. I love that the scriptures give us freedom to groan. What is groaning? It's just words. It's just, oh, Right? We know what that feels like. It's, we don't have to spiritualize it. We don't have to bumper sticker it. We don't have to clean it up. We just can ugly cry and snot and just go, ugh. And groaning is okay. And we have to make space for groans. And if you're a groaner, you have to do that. It is disingenuous to pretend that everything is okay, to put your little Christian bumper sticker on it and just force yourself through it, but as opposed to sitting it and groaning in it. So where do we go from here? I think we have to increase our perspective. We cannot give up. We bear with each other. And I think groaning is recommended. So what we're going to do is the, the band's up here. and We're going to spend a little time in prayer. And then we're going to offer, um, we're going to do one more worship song and we'll call it quits. But in a second, I'm going to invite us to stand. In fact, let's do this. I'm going to invite us to stand and I'm going to pray for us. And during the course of this next song, if you feel like you'd like some additional prayer, I mean, if, and you want to just come in an act of faith, step forward and, and kneel down and do some business with God. If you need to pray with someone at the end of the service, there'll be people who will pray with you. But we as a church have to be more comfortable with suffering, more comfortable with groaning, more comfortable with awkwardness. Because how we walk in that is going to allow us to get to the other side. When we share in Christ's sufferings, we also will then get a share in his glory. But I want to offer a prayer up to three groupings of people. And if this is you, then, then great. If not, you can pray for them. But for some of us in this room, in fact, let me just pray and I'll just do it all together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, for some of us in this room, this moment is the moment of deepest and darkest suffering. And it is not good news to think of the perspective of it in the, in the whole line of human history in World War I or whatever. It doesn't even work to think about how great it is in the story and the glory of the people of God. It is dark and it is awful. And for my friends who are in this moment, let us as the body of Christ bear with you. Let us as the body of Christ make space for you to groan 
let us as the body of Christ commit to walk with you for as long as it takes, forever. Expand our hearts to be those people to walk with them. My second prayer is for myself and maybe for other people in this room who maybe God is inviting us to unopen the vault, to quit protecting ourselves from the pain and the suffering of those around us and the pain and suffering that others have caused us, but to once again open the vault and to lean in and to wash the feet of the betrayer, to lean in and welcome suffering because you welcome suffering. And in our discipleship, we long to be more like you, Jesus. And so we ask that you would help us to take a step into suffering for your glory. And the third group of people I want to offer a prayer for is that there are people in this room who have you have been called by God to bear with people. For you are deeply connected to people who are suffering and they are in their darkest and blackest moments. And God has put it on your heart to stand with them, to bear with them. And as you bear with them, this is your time to intercede for them. So for this next minute, we're just going to be quiet. We're going to do our business with God. If it's an act of faith, is to put some movement and feet behind whatever God is doing in your heart and you want to come forward and kneel and pray silently, you're welcome to do that. But then we'll spend some time in worship, reminding ourselves of the bigger story of you, God, who deserves all honor and glory and help us lean into that until it becomes true in our hearts. Have your way with us, Jesus.